I'm starting a new section of the teaching uh, for the next number of weeks, uh, and we're going to focus on evangelism as taught by Jesus. Evangelism as taught by Jesus. It's a very different paradigm as you see how Jesus impacts the lost world. Uh, and for a lot of us, we've got a lot to learn uh, because a lot of us come with this whole series of biases. Uh, we have raised up our own uh, point schedule of sin. I talked about that uh, before in which we have determined what sins are greater in God's eyes than others. Uh, and frankly, we know that that's irrelevant because God says sin is sin. Uh, whether you think it's minor or you think it's major, God equates sin as sin uh, and all outside of the, of the uh, will of God. And so now the question is, how do we, as we reach out to a world that's lost, how do we speak about Jesus? How do we speak about faith? How do, we, how do we speak about coming to terms with the fact that you have sin in your life and that the only way you can get to be with God is by accepting the Lord Jesus and bringing him into, into uh, your, your life? So this is an important lesson, and, it, and it's really one of the great lessons on this is the Samaritan woman at the well. And why this, and this is in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and why this is so critical is because you had to understand how a Jew in that period of time, looked at a Samaritan. The Jews had, a, had an expression, which was this, that if you were walking down a road and a Samaritan was coming towards you, you would be better off walking in a ditch so that your shadow was not polluted by the shadow of a Samaritan. Pretty serious stuff. Uh, and so there were enormous biases against Samaritans. They reviled the Samaritans. Uh, and even though the Samaritans considered themselves Jews, uh, the Jews did not consider the Samaritans Jews because the Samaritans, were, which were in the northern kingdom of Israel, when Israel was invaded in about the year 750 or so uh, and taken captive, well, what took place over the next uh, hundred years or so was a great deal of intermarriage, and, the, and what then effectively happened was that the Jews looked at the bloodline of the Samaritans as being polluted by Gentiles. And so they determined that they had polluted the blood of the patriarchs. And so they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. They were reviled in every possible way. Uh, and so now Jesus purposely goes through Samaria in this story. Now, no Jew, no Jew would willingly walk through Samaria. They would walk around Samaria. You can imagine it, but not Jesus. Jesus decides to go right through Samaria, and the reason for that is that Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And here's, here's the, the predicate for this lesson, understanding how a, a Jew would look at this woman. First of all, she's a Samaritan. You understand they're reviled. Number two, she's a woman. Uh, a, a Jewish man would revile a woman. Uh, in fact, they wouldn't even teach a woman uh, the, the scriptures. They felt it would be a waste of time. So women were really put down in that society. Awful, awful situation. Uh, and, and so you see this. So you have the issue of her race. 
you have the issue of her bias, and then you're going to see that you have the issue of her sin. And she had been married five times already, uh, divorced. Now she was living with a guy without being married, and so she's living in sin that way. And so uh, any self-respecting Jew, again, would revile this person, would not spend the time. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. Why am I going to spend time with someone who's a sinner? Uh, And so you see how God speaks to us. Here is God himself through Jesus Christ walking through Samaria, walking into a place where he knows people are reviled, meeting this woman who he knows is a sinner, meeting her, knowing she's a woman. His disciples have been sent into town to gather provisions, and he's there one-on-one with this woman. And you're going to see an amazing thing take place when you pattern your life after Jesus as to Jesus showing you how to evangelize some people, uh, these kind of people. And so I hope we, we can draw lessons from this. Turn to Gospel of John chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. And this is about Jesus. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Um, And and so this is about the, the middle of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, let's stop right there. He's talking to a woman. He's a Jewish rabbi. This would never happen under the normal strictures of society. He would never do that. But Jesus is already breaking breaking moral customs. He's demonstrating that when you come across somebody, you need to engage them. uh, And you engage them by being transparent. And if we are transparent, if we are the kind of Christians that God wants us to be, we should be reflecting the love of Jesus. Reflecting the love of Jesus. I told this story yesterday, and I'll repeat it because some of you were not there. Uh, You know my son has started a church in Fort Lauderdale, uh, and it's about two years into that program. And he now has uh, three or four homosexual partners that come to church regularly. Uh, and when one of them first came, the first time, uh, my son welcomed them, this, this uh, fellow whose parents, by the way, were missionaries, okay, missionaries, uh, wrote, wrote my son a note uh, telling him that they enjoyed the church and appreciated the, the, how nice people were. And my son wrote back saying, we were delighted that you were here. We hope you come again. This fellow then picked up the phone and called my son and said, we have visited 12 churches in Fort Lauderdale. We write this note to every church that we go to, and you are the first church that has called us back and invited us back. Now, I ask you, folks, you want to be like Jesus? You, you want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are you going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ if you keep people out on the sidewalk instead of bringing them into the church? And for a lot of us, we carry around this point card system. You know what I mean. Oh, homosexuality. Oh, that's a 10-pointer, right? That's a 10-pointer. Adultery, that's an 8-pointer. Stealing, that's a 7-pointer. 
Stealing from the government, that's a bonus position. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You understand this. We all carry around this bias. We all carry around this bias. So the first lesson I want to drill home today to you, and I hope this really hits home with you, please don't prejudge people, all right? If God has called you to be an ambassador for Jesus, you are saved, then you need to embrace the lost world. You need to show them love. You need to show them that you care because as you do this, they will see the love of God in your heart. And then you bring them in because guess, I'm going to give you another story here. You're not saving anybody, okay? You're not saving anybody, but you are the messenger. Now it's the Holy Spirit. So if you want to have people convicted of their lifestyle, convicted of sin, let God do it in God's time through the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? This is a critical issue. Jesus is teaching it right now. And so there he is at the well, at the well. He sees this woman. He knows everything. Don't you think Jesus knew her? It was a divine appointment. All right? He knew who she was. He knew her background. He knew everything. And yet here he is. Here's our Lord and Savior engaging this woman uh, in a discussion. Uh, and he said, will you give me a drink? And one of the things that, that, I, that I love about Jesus there is that Jesus is showing his need. Jesus is, is showing transparency. Jesus is indicating, look, I, you know, I, even though I may be the son of God, I, I'm fully human also. And so I have, I have this need. And so he's, he's showing that need to this woman to engage her. Uh, and I think this is an important lesson as well. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then in parens, the Bible says, for Jews do not associate with, with Samaritans. Well, she understood it. He was a Jew. They, Jews don't associate with Samaritan. Here he is. He's speaking to her. He's associating with her, and he's asking her for a drink. And one of the reasons why that is astonishing is she had a vessel... And Jesus is asking if he can have a drink from her vessel. That would never happen during that period of time because Jews would look at that vessel as contaminated. Contaminated. But not Jesus. You understand? Not Jesus as he's breaking down the barriers. He's breaking breaking down the racial barrier. He's breaking down the gender barrier. And now he's breaking down the sin barrier. All in order to engage someone and to bring them into salvation. What a, what a lesson this is. The Samaritan woman said to him, verse 9, I said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Right away, Jesus begins to speak theologically about living water. Um, and, and one of the things that you recognize is that the, the um, Old Testament was very clear about living water. Uh, in Jeremiah, it says that, that, that God himself, the Spirit of God, is living water, uh, and that the people of God have walked away from the living water. And so here it is, Jesus speaking to her now, uh, effectively, uh, spiritually and metaphorically, about living water, engaging her, speaking to her, Speaking to her as an equal, showing respect to her. 
Um, and so uh, you would have asked to be given living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his flocks and herds? And by the way, that's, that was true. This was Jacob's well. Jacob had dug this well about 2,000 years before. Uh, isn't that amazing? And so here's the well, the very well that Jacob drew, and she identifies herself as being from Jacob, uh, being a Jew, Samaritans thought of themselves as a Jew, and so now she's responding with Jesus and saying, are you saying that you're greater than, than our father Jacob? Who, who are you? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him will never Thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, Jesus. All right. Jesus immediately says, look, if you listen to what I'm saying, if you take what I'm giving you, you will have eternal life. I mean, what an amazing discussion this is, meeting some stranger and within a few minutes now beginning to speak about eternal life. Uh, and and that's, that's the lesson here to be sensitive, to see the opportunities, to break down the barriers. And when you break down the barriers, uh, know when the opportunity is there. For so many of us, we never step through any of the barriers. We'll see a racial divide. Oh, I'm not going there. All right? Or we'll see a gender issue. Oh, I'm not walking there. Or we'll see a sin issue. And frankly, that's the biggest divide because you come across people who are living in lifestyles that, that you repudiate, and we understand that God's will is that many of these people are outside the will of God. But let me ask you something. Do you sometimes find yourself outside the will of God? Or have you reached perfection? Really? Start looking in the mirror. Start looking in the mirror. When I just told you that God doesn't have a point value on sin, now reflect again and look again in the mirror. Because what you should see back is Jesus looking at you. And as you see Jesus looking at you, you should bow your head and say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Anoint my eyes. Anoint my spirit. Give me the willingness to go out and speak to people. Give me, give me the chance to show love. To show love. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And what's interesting is she's there in the middle of the day why? Because she's reviled. Nobody wants to have anything to do with her. All the other women in that village, and it was the women who typically drew the water, wouldn't go there at the middle of the day. Why would you go at the hottest point of the day? They would go later or earlier. But she had to go when nobody else was there because nobody wanted to be a part of her. Nobody wanted to socialize with her. She was a social pariah. Uh, and so now she's listening to Jesus and obviously, she's never heard this story before, but she's interested in getting this water that she thinks will, no longer, will keep her from getting physically thirsty again, not recognizing that Jesus is talking about really spiritual water. Um, and, and he said to her, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. Now, did Jesus know that she didn't have a husband? Of course he knew. You understand? But Jesus now, in as nice a way as possible, 
is asking her to reflect introspectively on yourself without saying, you don't see Jesus saying, you're a loser. You're going to hell. How many times have you spoken to somebody about Jesus and, and made sure that you finished it up by saying, you know you're going to hell? You know you're going to hell. All right? You don't see Jesus saying this. I don't see anywhere in this. I see, I see caring and transparency and love. Uh, and so Jesus, uh, without indicting her, asks her introspectively, why don't you go home and bring your husband back here? Uh, and so she says in verse 17, I have no husband. All right? She comes clean. I have no husband. And Jesus responds, and you love Jesus. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Whoa. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being at that well? And hearing somebody apparently open your life up in front of you. And I want you to understand something about this issue with divorce. One of the problems in that, that first century period of time uh, in, in uh, Judea was that it was very easy to get divorced. Very easy to get divorced. So if you were a man and you decided you had had it with this woman, effectively you, you make this pronouncement publicly, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and effectively the, 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 the nuptials, the relationship of man and wife was cut, and there were these women who were then cut loose in society. It was awful. Cut loose in society because their husbands had found somebody else or wanted to move on, and so it was a desperate condition. Women were treated abhorrently. It was horrible. One of the great things about Christianity that raises Christianity up above certainly other religions, specifically the Muslim issue, is the way Christianity treats women. Well, I mean, this is a big deal. Jesus saw women fully as equals. Fully as equals. In every way, women were equals. And so you see this here now, and, and so Jesus give, looks into her life and says to her, after she had opened herself up and demonstrated the fact that she told the truth, and now Jesus says, you're right. You're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Bingo. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, this is Another lesson to learn. Do you see now, as you begin to, to discuss uh, God, you begin to discuss uh, eternal life with people, how a lot of people will then want to go back and get into a theological debate, right? I could see you're a prophet. You know, you guys think that real worship is in Jerusalem. We think it's in Mount Gerizim. So let's get into a discussion. Which is it? Jerusalem or Gerizim? What's the right way? And this is what's going to happen to you when you go out and speak to people. You're going to hear people begin to debate. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And the thing is, I want to, I want to encourage you not to get involved in a theological debate. 
If you are truly involved in, in moving people towards God, keep your message simple. You know, if you saw Billy Graham's special last night, what you saw with Billy Graham is he was like a laser. Whenever he spoke, he had a very simple message. You are lost. God loves you. He gave you the prescription to be saved. It's Jesus Christ. If you accept Jesus Christ, you're saved. He didn't get into involved uh, theological debates. And the reason that he didn't do that was that across denominational lines, people came to Jesus because of Billy Graham. You understand? People came to Jesus. Why? He didn't get into the theology issue of this denomination or that denomination. That does not carry the ball. I want you to be convicted on this. So when you speak to people, don't be lifting up your own personal denomination. All right? Your personal denomination is not going to save anybody. It's Jesus Christ crucified on the cross, died for your sins. It's going to save people. And that's how you have to approach this. And you see it with Jesus. You see it here. He didn't get involved in that. All right? And, and so Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worship True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Wow. Look at what Jesus has just said in three or four sentences. Um, and, and in fact, the first part, he says, there's coming a time when, where it's irrelevant where you're worshiping. You're worried about Mount Gerizim? Forget Mount Gerizim. Forget Jerusalem. It's going to be irrelevant because there's a time when you're going to be worshiping God the Father, and that time is now. You're going to be worshiping him in spirit because God is a spirit. He's omnipresent, and wherever he is, you can worship him in your own way as you speak to him. You don't have to go to a spot. You don't have to go to a temple. And all of this, Jesus is now opening up to, the, to this lady. And then he says, you, you, you Samaritans are worshiping something you do not know. Uh, but salvation is from the Jews. What does that mean, salvation is from the Jews? It means that God has called the Jews and within the Jewish line has put Jesus in the lineage of the Jewish people. And now salvation, because Jesus is a Jew, comes effectively from the Jewish line, but from the Son of God. And you see this message being drilled home. Uh, and now he talks about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Look, nobody ever said that before. Whoever talked like that, that you didn't have to go to the temple or engage in a whole set of rituals. And Jesus is now breaking the mold as he's speaking to somebody. Do you see the simplicity of the gospel? You see how Jesus is presenting it? He's not saying you must do X, Y, and Z. You must get in sackcloth and ashes. He's talking about the simplicity of coming to God in spirit and in truth, irrespectively of where you think that is. Uh, and so, verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She showed her heart. She demonstrated that, that she had some understanding about this. I know that the Messiah is coming, 
And when he comes, he's going to tell us all truth. And now one of the most amazing statements in all of the New Testaments. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus never spoke that directly to the disciples. He never said it that specifically before. I am the Messiah. Oh, God, Lord Jesus. Here he is at this well with this woman. All of the barriers, the racial, the gender, the sin, and the God of the universe says to her, you are right. I am the Messiah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it had to be like to be there and see that? Understand the love of God, the openness of God. There's no repudiation. There's no, you are lost. You are a sinner. You disgust me. I don't want you to come into my church. We don't want your kind of people stay outside on the sidewalk. I repudiate everything. But you see anything like that? All I'm telling you is you see the love of God as he comes face to face with this lost person and shows him, I am the Messiah. Oh, what a powerful, powerful verse this is as Jesus opens himself up. And then verse 27, just then the disciples returned. They had gone in to get provisions and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? I guess they understood. If Jesus is doing it, he's obviously got a good reason to do it. They wouldn't be doing it, but if Jesus is doing it, well, that's Jesus. That's how he is. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And I want you to see that at this point, this woman who has come face to face with Jesus Christ in the simplest way, who has seen the love of God, becomes the first evangelist, the first effectively Gentile evangelist in the New Testament. She goes back into town, and because she has been empowered by God, she comes back into town and says, come and see this guy who has just told me everything about myself. Could this be the Christ? I like the way it's written there in, in, that, in that verse. And I can assure you that when she said it, it was probably more like, I think this is the Christ. But she said it in this way, it's written this way, because I think the question is left open for the hearers in the town. Now listen to this. I want you to see the impact of Jesus when you evangelize. Here's the lady that nobody will want to be around. Nobody will hang around with. She has to go to the well by herself. Now she comes in and says this, and what happens next? The entire town walks out to the well. Her impact, her testimony is so powerful that now uh, through the inspiration of God, she now walks back out. Uh, and so uh, you, you see this here. And so uh, the entire town is going to say it. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And now the disciples begin a, a colloquy with Jesus. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Oh, Jesus. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Meaning what? 
I have spiritual food. I have spiritual responsibilities. I'm not concerned about eating physical food. I'm concerned about doing the will of the Father. I'm concerned about the lost. I'm concerned about meeting people that are in desperate need of knowing who I am. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? You've got to love the disciples, don't you? I told you that. These guys are great. They walked around seven days a week, 365 days a year for three years, and they never really got him. Only when he was crucified and resurrected from the dead finally did it all come through. And I think that's hopeful for us. That's hopeful for us because there's a lot of us that have spent our lives. Yeah, we're 70, we're 80, some of us are 90, and we're still not coming to terms with it because we still don't really understand everything about Jesus. And so Jesus loves you anyway. Could somebody have brought him a sandwich? <laughs> I'm not realizing that this is one of the greatest evangelical moments in the history of the world, in the history of the world, where all of the major barriers are being broken down by our God. Um, my, Jesus says again in verse 34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad today to, together. Thus the, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. When this, this position, as theologians have said, is he said, look out at the fields. And what would you have seen at that moment if you looked out at the fields? You would have seen a group of people, hundreds of people, coming across the, the valley, coming across the field to come and see Jesus, who had just heard the testimony of the Samaritan woman. And so Jesus is saying to them, look at the harvest. Look at it. And what's the point of the harvest? The point is this, that there are other people that sow and there are other people that reap. Some of us sow and other people reap. You know, the, the uh, Pew uh, Research people did a study on how many times someone would have to hear about the gospel before they came to salvation, and they concluded that on average it was 48 times. 48 times that somebody would hear about Jesus and listen to Jesus and be approached about Jesus. And so here's the point. You don't know where you are. You might be number 16 or number 25 or number 35 or number 48. But the point is that God expects us to do his will, to reach out and speak, to, to talk to them, to show them love, to let them understand what's happening. Now, continuing on, many of the Samaritans, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. How about that? The townspeople believed in Jesus because of the testimony of this woman. Well, wait a second. 30 verses before, you wouldn't even go out and draw water with her. What happened? What seminary did she go to? When did she get her license to preach? Do you see how magnificent our God is? And so when you sit there and you say to me, oh, I don't have this ability, I don't have this gift, I don't have this talent, I want to point you to this example right here where this poor 
destitute woman outside the will of God and outside even the will of man is chosen by God, chosen by God to have this appointment, and she now winds up evangelizing the town. The townspeople believed because of her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans, verse 30, came, verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. Oh, that that could have happened in Galilee or Nazareth, all right? But it didn't. An entire town coming to faith, an entire town of people that are reviled outside the the social norms, people who, who the Jews wouldn't even have their shadows crossed. And so you understand how God wants us to speak to the lost, so don't get involved and don't start thinking that when you see somebody, they're sinners. Uh, I'm not going to waste my time. There's no sense. God wants you to speak to everybody. God wants you to evangelize the way Jesus evangelized. And so this is an important point. And so as we come to terms with this, we see that Jesus used a common point of interest of contact. He didn't discriminate. Jesus didn't discriminate because of race, gender, religion, or social class. He did not. Um, and, and so he, Jesus revealed himself gradually. And let me say something else to you. And we're going to discuss this more next week. Some people are not prepared to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to hear about that next, next week when, when the Bible teacher comes to challenge Jesus theologically. Uh, and you're going to see in that episode that Jesus will not really delineate the the full extent of the gospel. Why? Because for some of us, we have been hammering people for years about the gospel, and all they become is gospel-hardened. They're sick of hearing it. Their hearts are not ready. They're not open to hear it. And so what God is telling us is that you have to be sensitive to this issue. Even when you speak about God, that when you see people are closing down, you don't sit there and continue to hammer them. You don't do that. Uh, and so God, God wants you to be sensitive to this. And so we need to accept people where they are and not judging by external issues. The problem with a lot of us is that we fall into the category of being fruit inspectors. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You sit there and you'll see somebody, and for a lot of us, within 60 seconds, we have pronounced judgment. He's lost. He's a loser. This guy's a loser. This guy's a sinner. This guy's not interested. And you, you pronounce it all day. In fact, you do it in church. You make these same pronouncements in church. All right, you know that you do. I'm not asking you to admit it, but you know that you do. You see people, and you'll say, yeah, there's a disciple. No, that person's no disciple. That person's outside the will of God. And so we judge by externals. Jesus never judged by externals. All right? Let's focus on that. Jesus does not judge by externals. Um, And Jesus never said to her, do you acknowledge you're a sinner? Do you notice that? 
Jesus didn't say to her, do you acknowledge now before me that you are a sinner? Instead, Jesus said, go and get your husband. Oh, I, I have no husband. That's right. You don't have a husband. You've been married five times. You see how Jesus does it? Instead, we would say, you're, you're a loser. You're a sinner. You're, you've been guilty of adultery and numerous, numerous sexual improprieties. You need to fall on your knees now before God strikes you dead. You're going directly to hell. How's this sound? Does this sound like something you, you know, you got the, you know, you got the transcript? You understand. Listen, some of us talk to our kids this way. We talk to our kids this way as we get exasperated with their lifestyles. Please take this lesson to heart, all right? Even, and I know that some of you have issues in your family with, with some of your family members are, are homosexual. I beg you, I beg you that, to, to give them the love of God. Show them that God loves them. Bring them into the family of God. Find a way to embrace them and bring them into church because it's only when they are convicted by the Holy Spirit that God will speak into their hearts. Do you think you pronouncing? You pronouncing. I'm going to give you the commandments because you're violating the commandments. I'm going to give you the commandments. And they're going to go, oh, you're right. You're right. It doesn't work that way. Don't you understand that God gave us the commandments to show us that we are sinners? He didn't give you the commandments for you to say, oh, yeah, that commandment is bringing me to eternal life. No commandment gives you eternal life. Only Jesus Christ died on the cross, the blood of Jesus and his grace poured into your life. When are we going to learn this? When are we going to learn this and apply it to those around us? As we bring the message of hope, this whole lesson is about hope and love and embracing. Yes, we want to see people's lives changed, but you're not going to change it. You don't have the power or the authority. It is only the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And don't you think that's exactly what happens? When people come into church and they're listening to sermons and they're listening to the word of God and slowly. And by the way, these changes don't happen overnight. Were you changed overnight? Some of you guys are, you know, 85, you're still being changed. Oh, no, you know, you understand. You've heard these messages your whole life and yet you still haven't effectively changed completely. It's because God deals with us in his own timeline. So don't you sit there and pronounce judgments on people. They're going to hell. Instead, embrace them, love them, bring them into the congregation of believers, and let them hear the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that will change people. All right? So think of all these issues uh, and, 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 and how God wants us to, to respond, uh, and look at the impact of this person, look at the impact of this person when she embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they wind up asking Jesus to stay two more days. Can you imagine? Samaritans asking Jews, hang around with us. Hang around with us, Jesus. We like you. We feel this love. We feel this electricity, and that's what happens. Uh, and so, to me, 
I am so overwhelmed by this message. This, this lesson for me is one of the truly great lessons in the New Testament, one of the truly great scriptures. As you see Jesus demonstrating to us salvation and redemption and evangelism 101. You want to be like Jesus? This is how you embrace the lost. This is what you're doing. So look at what Jesus revealed here about God, because he revealed a number of things. First of all, he revealed that our heavenly Father is a seeking God. He's a seeking God. He actually seeks relationships. Can you imagine that? That the God of the universe would want to have a relationship. That's what you need to tell people, that they're out there, they're lonely, they're brokenhearted, they're thinking they're alone. This woman was cut off from society, and yet God, Jesus tells her that God is seeking a relationship with her. He knew, what else we learned? We learned that Jesus knew all about our life. He is omniscient, and that's the lesson. God knows everything. He is everywhere at the same time. There is no place in this world that God is not able to be at at that time. He hears everything. He knows everything. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, is a spirit. He fills the universe with that spirit. Let's understand that. That's why we worship God in spirit and in truth. He is a spirit. It means at one point in time, that spirit fills the entire universe entirely. That's how God is. Here's a big one. God values women as much as he does men. Go home and tell your wife that. All right? Jesus believes in the equality of women. And I'm sorry to say that in a lot of churches, that's not true. It's not true. We have to ask God to change some of these churches, to change our mindset. God views women fully equal with men. God cares for us individually. He is patient with our ignorance and our blindness. He is patient even as he is coming to dispense his love and care for us. He leads us gently into the light. Now, here's the point of this. Some of us have been born into the faith. We've, had, we've come from family that have been Christians, and we have born there been born into that, and some of us have children that have been raised, and now they have walked away. Well, Jesus in those cases might not so gently lead them back into the light. In those cases, sometimes Jesus takes a two-by-four. Sometimes Jesus takes a two-by-four as he brings us back to where we should have been, and he does that in order to make certain that our eternal lives are secure. God makes us confront our sins, not to condemn us, but to deliver us. You see that message? God makes you confront your sin. As he did it with David, Nathan. You, you are that man after David was disgusted with that wealthy man that, sh that stole the, the pet sheep and then killed that sheep for dinner. And he, David was disgusted with that. And now Nathan says, you are the man. God, God... God shows, wants us to confront our sin, just like Jesus wanted this woman to confront her sin. He wanted her to acknowledge she was outside of God's will. That's right. You don't have a husband. Uh, you've had five of them, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. He wants you to admit your sin, and, 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 and as he does it, Jesus is not, is not saying that you're going to hell. He's, he's giving you the chance to confront your own sin, condemn yourself, and then God 
gives the opportunity to deliver us. And our Father in heaven loves us and proves it by sending Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. Can you ask for a more poignant lesson than this? The Savior of the world, spending the time. Jesus spent the time to go to Samaritan, Samaria to meet one woman who needed to have a divine appointment. That's the God that you serve. Imagine that. Everything was on hold that day to go into Samaria to meet that woman. That's how much God values one lost soul. And so when we're there serving God, when we walk with God, when God calls us to evangelize, and by the way, here's the lesson. Do you think you're a little bit more prepared than the Samaritan woman? Do you think you have a little bit more stature than this woman who's been married five times, still living in sin? You answer that question yourself, but it's clear to me that God calls us where we are. Every single one of you have the capacity right now to speak about Jesus. Every single one of you. The question is, will you decide to walk in faith with him? Will you step out in faith and speak to him? Will you step out despite the fact that maybe you'll be rejected? Maybe somebody will think you're a kook, but if you do it in love, when you embrace the lost in love, when you show them in your life that God loves them, you're going to see incredible things take place. Uh, And here's the bottom line. God wants to bring the lost into his family. He wants them to come in and be part of the kinship of the people of God. He wants to be our friend as well as our father. He wants to be in charge of our lives. He wants us to submit to him. And so here's the call today to each and every one of you. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. You see this example. He's taught you how to evangelize. He's taught you how to reach the lost world. He's given you the choice. Don't be a fruit inspector. Don't be a fruit inspector. Don't be a judge, but be a loving, kind Christian. The kind of Christian that the love of God comes out of your heart. That when you see the lost, you want to embrace them. When you see those people that are being served unjustly, you want to bring justice. When you see the needy, you step out and do. Because you love God, you love Jesus, and you want to be his man in this world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. Father, I thank you for the example you've given us as to how to approach the lost. Lord, teach us, embolden us, speak with us through the Holy Spirit to, ha- to speak to a world that's lost, and most importantly, to show love, Father, because that's the problem that we have. We find it difficult to show love. And so we ask you, Lord, through the Holy Spirit that you embolden us and make us understand that it's about love and demonstrating your love to a lost world. Thank you for these men. Protect them this week. Bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.